Welcome to Estradile Illusions. Before we begin, I want to do a little bit of bookkeeping because I don't think I've ever done any bookkeeping at the start of an episode. July has been a record month for the show. We've got many thousands of new downloads, which is great because a lot of our... Uh, We've been able to track the numbers and all the people who are following our Pride Month coverage last month, which continued to this month, have uh, clearly been going back and downloading a lot of our back episodes. So whether you've been with us since last year, March 2019 feels like a lifetime ago, or if this is your first episode, welcome. We're so happy and excited to have you. If you have been enjoying the show... Uh, the best way that you can help support the show is by uh, leaving a review or a rating on whatever app you're listening to the show on. If that's Apple or Stitcher, Spotify might have that, unless uh, I personally don't use Spotify much. But uh, if you enjoy the show and want to lend a helping hand to a transgender-led uh, podcast, uh, we'd be very grateful. And with that in mind, uh, this episode, we're going to do a shorter episode. It's one of our mini episodes. And it is on a subject that is uh, probably not for everybody. And the subject matter seems kind of explicit. Uh, we're going to keep it uh, nice and clean. It is on the literal subject of transgender orgasms, though. So if that's not your thing, that's perfectly fine. I see a lot of myths online that kind of uh, make it necessary for uh, this episode to exist. So we will be talking about transgender orgasms, both uh, before surgery, after surgery, regardless whether you want to have surgery or not. Because there are a lot of people out there who seem to think that the minute you take estrogen or testosterone... You see that uh, these people seem to believe that the second you decide to transition, you kiss uh, sexual function goodbye. And that's a load of nonsense. This episode will also... Uh, it, it is kind of, in a lot of ways, a follow-up to our previous episode uh, with Amy Dias. Uh, in that... Uh, it was somewhat pre uh, precipitated by the uh, reaction that I got from some within the gender critical community who discovered the episode, uh, which has blown up. It's already in our top 10 most downloaded, and it went up two days ago. But I, I got attacked along a lot of the same lines that we were discussing within the episode because gender critical people only really have a few attack lines. So we'll address some of that as well because sexuality is something that we as a society are not very good at talking about. And when it comes to trans people, it, it, it's even more difficult for a lot of us because we don't want to talk about this stuff without being uh, branded as a pervert or a deviant. And honestly, I mean, it's so frustrating because as a trans woman, honestly, all I really want is a, a shot at, at relative normalcy. I said that as a 29-year-old who spends a lot of time at Disneyland and likes to literally live. I, I like to spend time in a literal, physical place called Fantasyland. But my life itself is not a fantasy. I live uh, 
in, in reality, as a normal post-operative transgender woman in a long-term relationship with uh, plenty of stability and happiness, and uh, life is by and large pretty good. I have very few complaints. And to gender-critical people, they hate that. They, they, well, we'll get into some of that later. Let's get to the fun stuff. So I had bottom surgery in October of 2019. And sort of the uh, frustrating thing that comes as a result. So some places say you're not supposed to resume sexual activity for essentially three months. I was about to say some say 10 weeks, but honestly, three months, 10 weeks, uh, not that much of a difference. There's a two-week difference. But of course, I had a labiaplasty in March, which is uh, not every transgender person who gets bottom surgery, transgender woman in, in this instance who gets bottom surgery is going to go through. Uh, some people don't believe in the two-step basically having a part one and a part two to the surgery. They think that uh, some, some surgeons just prefer to do all of it in one fell swoop. Uh, others believe that you essentially, uh, step one is to make the vagina functional, and then step two is to basically make it uh, prettier. I'm not going to post pictures of my, my actual vagina, but uh, the... the, the Labiaplasty made it so that uh, I have a very I it my my transgender vagina looks incredibly similar to a, a cisgender vagina. It is uh they did an incredibly good job. All going to talk about, but it's true. And there are people out there who have no idea sort of this stuff, so it's important to say. Uh that's not an endorsement. I, I, I actually I was about to say it's not an endorsement of the two-step method, but having read a lot about it, I I think it is probably uh, a bit difficult to get everything in one fell swoop. So if you're you're a transgender person listening, trying to pick your own surgeon or or, or whatnot, uh, that is something to keep in mind. So you have this surgery, and we've, we've done an episode, Thoughts After Surgery, where I talk about it, in great detail. That was actually before the labiaplasty. Uh, it, it, it's an ordeal. And for months and months and months, you look at your vagina not as a... Necess- well, it is a part of you, but at the same time, it's also... It's very controversial within transgender communities to uh, talk about a, a recent... A new fresh vagina, fresh out of the packaging, as a wound. Because uh, anti-transgender people will say, you know, you'll never have a vagina. It's just a wound that you constantly, and they 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 pump the they pump the stats for what you uh, for how much time you need to spend dilating. Dilation is you take a uh, and cisgender women dilate as well. You take a uh, uncomfortable acrylic dildo and you. Put it up your vagina for, generally speaking, 15 minutes at a time, and that is to keep the vaginal canal open. And also, in learning about the process, it is uh, essentially also to keep it from stiffening up in there. 
when I had my labiaplasty, uh, I was not supposed to dilate for a couple days. Generally, for the first 10 weeks or so, I was supposed to dilate, uh, I guess first eight weeks, uh, dilate four times a day, which, I mean, just takes up so much of your time. And then until the first six months, uh, dilate twice a day, and now I'm at once a day. And when I hit the one-year marker, I can kind of go once a week slash as needed. So when I had the labiaplasty, which would have been just under the six-month stretch, so I was still dilating twice a twice a day, but early in recovery, it went down to once a day. But for uh, the first couple of days after the labiaplasty, I was told not to dilate because you don't want to really aggravate all of the stuff that's going on down there. But and then and then I was told to. There's many sizes of dilators. There's one through four, which I was given. Uh, and there's also taper dilators in between, which basically they're kind of curved more ovally. They're basically to, to open things up before you put the real dilator in. <laughs> it's such such a fascinating topic, but I had gone down a couple sizes because uh, just just to not cause too much of a ruckus down there. And honestly, it, it wasn't like it was painful to go back to dilating, but it was just so stiff down there. And I was like... I'd, I'd, I'd been recommended by uh, trans women who have gone through this process to uh, move it around a bit, to loosen things up, and ah, that was not fun. And the broader point, the thing that I, reason that I talk about all of this is that for so long, so much of my day was spent taking care of this vagina, nursing it. It's actually, it's it's pretty tough to move on from that and say, okay, this is an object of sexual pleasure. Once it's, like, not this thing that's, uh, you know, discharge is coming out, there's blood, there's all sorts of things. You don't look at that and say, oh, that's fun, I want to I play with that. And yet, I mean, let's be serious, that is exactly why it exists. It is supposed to be fun. Literally. And I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe we don't want to totally, we don't want to reduce transition to uh, a sexual manner because it's so much more than that. As of course demonstrated by all of our other wonderful episodes that you should uh, totally download. But it, it, it is a important part of transition. And so 80% uh, post-operative trans women uh, are supposed to be able to have uh, fully functional orgasms. I do wonder how that stat is compiled, because it's not like I ever got a call. Not that polling or uh, statistics, you know, you have sample sizes, but... I do wonder, and you're, you're, you're told all of this before the surgery, that uh, you may never orgasm again. And whenever, you know, you hear all the time, oh... You know, anyone can just decide to be trans. I mean, go up to a cisgender man and say, okay, you're going to have, uh, you're going to take these pills that will, uh, probably take away your ability to have an erection. Do you want to do that so that you can go to the bathroom? Pretend to, to 
you know, invade these spaces in, in like an invasion. It doesn't happen. And yeah, nobody, I mean, no, seriously, nobody goes through this journey for shits and giggles. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot. And you're also told that sort of uh, regaining sensation, all of that is a process that takes time. And it could take longer than a year. And it's also like, you, you know, if you're, if you, the listener, assuming you're an adult and this is a podcast for adults, if you think back to the uh, first time you played with yourself, if you think back to the time you first played yourself, uh, uh, you know, you improved over time. You did not, none of us knew what we were doing. Imagine, like, you've got this thing that you is new. I say that. Nobody who has gone through this process can really, uh, has a great frame of reference for uh, new genitals, but it's like just getting, if you've, if you've driven automatic your entire life, getting in front of a stick shift saying, you know, drive this. Maybe, maybe you, you understand how it should be done, but uh, it's not going to be a smooth ride. It was awkward. Learning how to pleasure, learning your own sense of pleasure is not easy. It's very challenging and uh, frustrating. Especially the whole time when you're like, am I, am I part of this 80%? Uh, 20%. Am I part of the 80 that does get to uh, achieve climax? Or am I part of the 20 and I will never, ever, ever come again? Thank you, come again. Sorry, you can't, because you're part of the 20%. And it's weird. It's weird to go through that period wondering which, which, which am I, you know, because you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to be like aggressively touching yourself or having somebody touch you thinking like, you know, what if this thing doesn't turn on? It's like Empire Strikes Back. What if the Millennium Falcon cannot go into hyperspace? Do you go to Lando and say, can you fix this? What do you do? I'll tell you what I did. I bought a wand. A, I did not buy a Hitachi Magic Wand, which is the most uh, well-known vibrator on the Earth. But I did buy a Lilo Smart Wand. It's big. It makes vroom vroom sounds. I'm not going to put the vibrator on my microphone because I don't want to damage it, but maybe we can hear it. Make little hum-hum sounds. It's powerful stuff. It's it's like a, it Literally, it looks like a lightsaber. And I'd probably rather have the vibrator than the lightsaber, if I'm being honest. Especially those Disneyland vib... Uh, Disneyland lightsabers, not Disneyland vibrators. They cost like $200. I would much rather have a wand than that. And they're talked about, female orgasms are talked about as the sort of this, this great taboo. You know, you can make a wank joke on a TV show, but God forbid women are not supposed to talk about sexuality. You're supposed to be the object of sexuality, and it's just such nonsense. And the, the magic wand actually was a... Uh, object of of liberation in the 60s it's a very popular item among older people it's a very revered it's celebrated it's an icon of uh, feminist art 
In 2005, it was named the greatest gadget of all time, edging out the iPod. There is no U2 edition of a magic wand, but maybe there should be. There, there actually, there should not be. I would not buy a U2 magic wand. The black and red and, hello, hello. No, not going to happen. No uno dos tres catorce. As he said it. That's not the way he said it. But, so I'd heard a lot of uh, amazing things. Um, the magic wand is something that is literally, it, there's a lot of scientific studies on it, which is fascinating. You can't talk, you're not supposed to talk about the female orgasm in public, but uh, thankfully science has uh, caught on to the fact that uh, women do orgasm. And that's something that so many male partners who last five or six minutes before uh, finishing... <laughs> You can tell they're not very uh, attentive of the needs of uh, women. I say this as a bisexual person. I, having, having purchased a wand, I'm in a relationship with a cisgender woman. I have been for a few years. Uh, I, I am very much attracted to men, but how do you buy a wand? I, I don't need them. What, do, what is a... Uh, what, 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 what can penetration solve that vibration can't? Literally. The magic wand is literally prescribed for women who are having difficulty achieving climax. And it's an object that can bring people to climax in essentially 60 seconds. It's so powerful, you're uh, encouraged to use it either with a blanket or under uh, through your clothes. You're, it is too powerful to essentially just use... Vibrator to vagina or clitoris. It is way more powerful than the penis. And probably a lot better, too. <laughs> I don't... I think maybe people were afraid of the, the wand because it was going to erase heterosexuality. I don't know. I... I, I, I like to look at men. I'm, I, 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 I don't really need a man. A man can't do anything. Maybe lift things for me. Wand can't do that. Not even the wands done by that children's author who hates trans people. Actually, those can lift. Wingardium Leviosa. Vibration Leviosa. God. We don't need to talk about that anymore. So, the, the wand is... Uh, I got that. And part of it, it's called the Cadillac or the Rolls-Royce of vibrators. I wanted something that could be looked upon to signify the importance of the occasion. Waited my whole life to have the correct genitals. I wanted something that uh, made it worth the wait. Because before, sort of just efforts to, you know, reach down there, see if... See if that tingles. God, you know, honestly, this is kind of awkward to talk about, but it's important because especially cisgender people don't know this stuff. It is awkward to touch yourself. <laughs> and maybe anyone who's been in this position, especially if you grew up going to Catholic school, masturbation is the devil. Uh, idle hands are the devil's playthings. It's true. No, it's not. <laughs> 
So I get that, and I, uh, you know, it's got a lot of settings. The thing is, uh, it is the greatest, it is the greatest gadget ever made. It's better than, I would give up, if you told me I had to give up podcasting or the wand, I would give up podcasting. The wand is the greatest thing ever invented. I said that. I felt, and and this is it's it. This goes back to the sixties. I am not the first to say this. The Hitachi Magic Wand was designed to be a massager for your whole body, and actually, I do use my wand uh, for sore muscles sometimes. But it did catch on. Women found that uh, it was very useful for a different purpose. And it became so well-known for that that Itachi actually took their name off the product because they didn't want to be known as the world's number one uh, maker of, of wand-style vibrator. I think, actually, probably the world's number one maker of vibrators. So it is um, just an absolute magical thing. It is a magic wand. And it worked uh, so well. <laughs> Literally. I'd say, honestly, that the, the value of the wand is priceless. Having When I went in to get the labiaplasty, one of the questions they asked was, have you uh, orgasmed yet? And at that point, I hadn't, because... And I hadn't super tried. It wasn't, honestly, until, like, two weeks before my labiaplasty that... that the stitches on... I had literal stitches on my clitoris that were there to keep it from receding. And before the labiaplasty, it was more exposed. And it was awkward. I mean, they were, they were supposed to dissolve, so they come out. They didn't need to be uh, manually taken out. And I was told not to fool around with them. And I was told that if they weren't out by the time of the labiaplasty, they would uh, fix them. They'd take them out. But uh, it's not, I mean, I've heard of you know, trans women rushing to have sex after. I, I, I was worried. I don't want to screw anything up. And there wasn't really any sensation there yet. So I had uh, experimented a little bit. But uh, because of the stitch, I really, <laughs> I didn't want to. I was afraid. So at that point, I said no. Well, at that point, I prefaced it and I said I have not yet, but I, I, I do think there is sensation because I knew that there was, and I had, uh, you know, I had gone back on my progesterone, and like every normal person, I was feeling things, and they said, well, you know, you would know if you had, and I said, well, I basically said, look, I'm not worried, but after the surgery, I needed, I, I wanted to get the thing that could uh, nip this this situation in the bud. Not that it was much of a... I mean, I guess it was a situation in some senses, but in others, it was just something that I knew needed to be handled, not necessarily that it could not be handled. But So I wanted something that was going to really get the job done, and it did. That peace of mind is priceless. Honestly, I... I'll be forever grateful 
Not that, you know, human-to-human intimacy is uh, better. It is, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to... Should not uh, have people come technosexual, I guess is... I think maybe the term, sci-fi term kind of thing, but uh, it worked really, 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 really well. Multiple orgasms. I mean, I, 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 I never really felt as much like a woman. Until I spent some time with that. I felt alive. I felt I felt like this journey... It's not complete because you know I do it again, but uh, I felt so wonderful. It, it, it was... It was like a I'll have what she's having moment from when Harry met Sally. It was it was wonderful. <laughs> Not to go on and on and on, but but to get there and to reach that highest mountain and to feel that it's hard to. It, it, maybe we shouldn't talk about it so much because it's a intimate subject but we should celebrate the idea that i was able to do it maybe not we i i should you don't have to celebrate my orgasms but it's wild i felt a kinship with all the women out there who have had this problem before for very different circumstances than i you know they just had bad partners men who didn't care about their needs but this unlocked a door it was just wild. Wild. Absolutely. It changed everything. It's an event so momentous it required a podcast. I have come and I am proud. Okay. I'll stop talking about that particular sensation. But I mean, honestly... The people out there who think that this is just something that trans women are incapable of are idiots. It's something that is marvelous. I I will never know what it's like to orgasm as a cis woman. But this, this was way different than anything I've ever experienced in uh, my life before I transitioned. uh, From from when I was pre-op and on hormones, uh, those are all actually three very different sensations, but this, this was, there was nothing like it. I, I, I see why people get addicted to that device. It is absolutely marvelous. This episode was, uh, exists in part because I read a comment by a Irish comedy writer. I'm not going to name because he's an asshole. Uh, we actually, we had a Irish comedy writer named Sam Flanahan on to talk about uh, gender critical uh, and tr- ideology and transphobia. But this other, other Irish comedy writer who, see, I know that Sam Flanahan wrote uh, Sister Ned and the ITM crowd. I forget what this guy wrote. But um, he's been banned from... Actually, they've both been banned from Twitter. But this other guy who's not Sam Flanahan was doing a YouTube broadcast or some sort of online broadcast. It may have not been YouTube. And was talking about... Really, he was very concerned about transgender children giving them puberty blockers because they would go through life without uh, orgasm. Which is BS. As I've just been outlining, but... uh, before that, I mean, 
when you take when you when, when you go on hormones that are different from the that which you were uh, assigned or designated at birth, uh, sensations change. I was still capable of orgasm uh, pre pre transition or pre surgery. I was definitely pre pre transition too, but it's different. Uh, the YouTuber ContraPoints has done a lot on uh, the mouthfeel, all of that. Uh, it's, it, it is very different. For some, it's very great. For some, it's not so great. I thought it was uh, fine. This uh, Now that I have my wand, I think that's pretty much the greatest thing ever made. And <laughs> I mean, I, I am bisexual. I like having... Uh, intimacy with uh many genders and i think i would probably rank the wand as the best of them all in fact the wand has been the subject of divorce for some people because men have realized that they're not needed anymore women have become addicted to the wand which i think is is probably a very safe addiction i don't think that's actually a problem but uh it's pretty great And this concern, I mean, it just, it demonstrates the stupidity of the gender-critical movement, the idea that they think that every trans person will become impotent. I mean, the world does not, I mean, I'd say the world doesn't revolve around orgasms, but with that in mind, I know that most people would not want to give theirs up. And when you transition and you go on hormones and you have surgery, you are rolling the dice assuming that you could in fact lose them. I thankfully didn't. Uh, the odds are not terribly great that you would, but I mean, I there are a lot of things people wouldn't do with 80% odds. And it's scary. And it's also scary to kind of uh, have to relearn how to do all this stuff, but the gender-critical people who are obsessed with this notion that uh, if you have uh, if you go on, you become this sort of sexless blob, which also exists in relation to a concept that we did talk about in the interview with Amy. And I'll just, I'll read some bizarre tweets that I received as a result of promoting my interview with Amy. I was attacked by one of the co-founders of After Ellen, a very anti-trans website that used to be a leading... Uh, News website for lesbians, but now is pretty much only known for transphobia. It's been run into the ground. Uh, this person uh, replied to some of my tweets. She wasn't tagged in any of them. Uh, I assume she listened to the interview where she was mentioned, so fair enough. Then she was quote-tweeting me, which I guess was an effort to get some of her followers to come in and attack me, but, um... So... And this is something... This is something that uh, we talked about. The idea that the gender-critical movement is trying to present this idea that, that the cotton ceiling, that, that trans people are forcing themselves upon lesbians, that you need to force somebody to have sex with you. So one account in particular that uh, has their name... Their name is hashtag I stand with JK Rowling. Hashtag I support Graham Lenahan. You can't you can put a hashtag in your name, but you can't actually it's not 
then activate a hashtag. So this person, and Graham Linehan, of course, was blocked from Twitter. Uh, he is also a, a Irish comedy writer. That's interesting. Graham's also, we had Sam Flinahan on, who is an Irish comedy writer and a big transphobe, but there is also a Graham Linehan, who is an Irish comedy writer and a huge transphobe. Hmm, that, that's very interesting. So this person writes, why are you forcing transsexuals onto lesbians? Why don't you go and bully straight men for a change? <laughs> go on, bully, and <laughs> coerce them to having sex with a penis in a skirt. See, you wouldn't because you know you talk utter bullshit and you're nothing but a cowardly bully. <laughs> I guess the implication here is you're a coward if you don't bully people into having sex with a penis in a skirt. Uh, full disclosure, I have not... Actually, I did wear a skirt earlier this week, but uh, I've worn a skirt probably two times in the past six months. I wear yoga pants almost exclusively with quarantine. I, I don't have a penis either. I have not had a penis for all of 2020, which is lovely. Uh, that tweet was a reply to something that had absolutely nothing to do with uh, forcing or... Is just such as... I mean, when we talked about it in the episode with Amy because it's something that happens uh, all the time. Which is just, it, it's so silly because the whole, the whole gender critical movement is, is predicated uh, uh, around the idea that nobody on this earth would ever want to have sex with or, or even fundamentally be attracted to a trans person. Which is just nonsense. It doesn't, it's something, I've been in a relationship for two and a half years, so I, I've been out of the dating game for a while. Even in my pre-hormone post, like, coming out when I was on Tinder and places looking for uh, romantic partners, even, even then, I, there was really no shortage of partners. I didn't, I, I've never even, this, this idea of forcing is just crap. I was up in Claremont, I was in the Inland Empire, kind of a wasteland of dating, and I was still having absolutely no trouble. And I... I did not look great. Barely learned make. I looked horrible. Still, no shortage of men. This other person, uh, this this person, I just read a tweet of. I'll read. I'll read one of their other tweets. I had replied pointing out that I don't have a penis. Uh, I also don't identify as a lesbian. I'm not. I am very much also attracted to men. I am very bisexual or pan or whatever term works these days. And to be honest, I, being in a relationship for so long, I, I you see a lot on Twitter of people saying like, am I bi, am I pen? I, I don't, I, on that regard, I don't really give a shit. I'll go play with my wand. I don't, I don't care. I really don't. But, so they write, I go, not a lesbian either. And they write, excellent. So then why are you attacking a website for lesbians that exclude Ben? Of course, that, that's literally the reason. After Ellen is a uh, bastion of transphobia, they post a lot of uh, anti-transgender stuff. So I'm critical of After Ellen for that explicit purpose. They also, they continue to write, please do force, notice the word again, force, please do force your way into straight men. They know where I'm going into straight men. I think she probably meant to say onto. If this, I don't even know if this. Uh, we'll use they. They don't like. They hate non-binary people too. But we'll just use the singular they because we cannot identify a gender. 
please do force your way into straight men and see what their reaction is. Told you, comma, you're a woman-hating bully. Told you. I. This isn't, I mean, this is the problem with, this is why I don't engage with gender critical people. Because it's just stupid. And when I was talking with, with uh, the co-owner of, of After Ellen, she kept talking and saying, what are you against the idea that a woman is an adult female human homosexual? Which, if you followed the, the interview we had with Amy, that is uh, it's one of their big things. They, they, they go around posting woman, adult, human, female, and they think that's like this great cause. It's just so ridiculous. Nobody is forcing anyone to have sex with them. I would say that uh, because the world is the way that it is, uh, it is generally speaking, and it is important to emphasize that that is in a general sense, trans people by and large do have a harder time finding romantic partners. Which, I gotta say, is not a problem necessarily unique to, to trans people themselves. Lots of people have problems finding romantic partners. Uh, there's plenty of trans people out there who have no problem finding romantic partners. There's a lot of transgender models that look absolutely, uh, absolutely gorgeous. Trans women models, trans male models, non-binary models, a lot of beautiful trans people. And those trans people, I mean, if you go into any... If, if you just go searching for somebody who you think is a drop-dead gorgeous trans person, you go to look for them on Twitter. In a lot of these cases, these people will post screenshots of all the harassing messages they get. I honestly probably, I mean, I don't want to gauge my own attractive, attractiveness. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care. Uh, I would not, I, I, I don't think I'm like somebody who is drop-dead gorgeous. Uh, I think, I think I'm cute, but uh, that's beside the point. My name is Ian Thomas, and I still get men creeping into my DMs saying, oh my god, you're so gorgeous, princess, I want to fuck you, blah, blah, blah. They say all sorts of stuff like that. I get creeped on by those people, and I have a male name. I ruin the fantasy for people. Straight men. But plenty of straight men are into trans women. This whole forcing narrative is nonsense. And it's just, it, it's all part of their effort to dehumanize trans people. There's nothing they hate more than a trans woman who is perceived as normal. That's what this is all about. They want to make it so that all lesbians want to, they attack. They attack lesbians who are in relationships with trans women. They say, you're not a true lesbian. You're bisexual. Stop calling yourself lesbian. You're erasing lesbians. You're horrible they say all of that stuff. It's just such crap. It's so tiresome. This forcing narrative. And it, it, it actually, this stuff all does go back to the wand vibrator. Because on a different thread, I pointed out that uh, now I am capable of multiple orgasms. I didn't used to be. With this wand, I have achieved super saiyan powers. I can have multiple orgasms. And Gay Chapman who again was not tagged in the reply, came up to me and said, you are a liar. The clitoris has 8,000 nerve endings. Which is true. It's also beside the point, because I don't know how many nerve endings my clitoris has. I do know that with the wand, I can have multiple orgasms within a short period of time. 
That is not to negate any cisgender that cisgender women their ability to have multiple orgasms is is not at all in any way shape or form affected by my ability to have multiple orgasms. And they can accuse me of lying. I I I don't really have a way. To, I mean, I the only way I'd be able to prove it to them is if I, you know, spread myself out, recorded. My, I mean, even then, I guess you could, in theory, you could you you could you could fake it. I guess, but I could I could get a you know a heart monitor or something attached. You know, your heart goes up when you have organ. There is probably a way to prove it. I don't care. It's so stupid. <laughs> ah, these people force force yourselves upon. <laughs> That's not how the world works. You know, go to a bar and force somebody to have sex with you. You get thrown out, and presumably, if you actually do try to force somebody, you should be arrested because that would be rape. And that's they're not using that exact term, but they're 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 trying to paint trans people as predators because they don't want trans people to be seen as normal. Which is, I mean, that's what we have to deal with. And to be honest, by and large, I don't really care. Which, of course, begs the question of why would you podcast about something if you don't care? So I guess I do care. But I don't care in the sense that this affects my day-to-day life. If you look through my Twitter replies, I don't spend a lot of time talking about these people. Or engaging with them. I'll be 100% transparent. I engaged with the founder of After Ellen because I expected it to generate traffic towards my podcast, which it appears to have worked. I don't have the advanced Twitter metrics on all of that, but uh, it we were we've been posting record numbers, including uh, literally today. So uh, I do it when it benefits me, and most of the time it does not benefit me. So I don't. And there are a lot of trans people who spend all day on Twitter engaging with these people and i think that's generally speaking a waste of time because a lot of them also get banned or they go on private you can't even see it's hard to sort of get a paper trail there's no point it's literally farting into the wind but i want to do this episode because i think it's important to talk about transgender orgasms seriously you may think it's stupid or inappropriate to talk about but it's not, because people don't feel comfortable talking about it. Therefore, it cannot be unimportant. And if you think it's really unimportant, I imagine you're not, you, you've stopped listening by now. So we're only left with uh, the people who care. And I'm kind of out of things to say. So, And this episode has gone on longer than uh, I expected it to. But to circle back around... It all goes back to this effort to dehumanize trans people, to other them, to make us seem like we are not normal. And let me tell you, I have a very normal life. I have a loving partner. I have a very healthy sex life. I am doing pretty great. So, you know, I think that's actually probably the best way you can combat these gender critical... They're not even... I mean, honestly, we, we talk about this big war... Are these people going to be around in a few years? I mean, in certain places, maybe the UK, but uh, for the rest of us, I don't know. And you know what? Honestly, there there are some really disturbing studies that say that like 15 or higher percent of, of women have never had an orgasm, which is a failure 
on so many levels. But also it, it, it reflects the idea that uh, this is stuff that, that we decide is, shouldn't be talked about or is taboo or inappropriate. And as a result, people don't get informed. And everybody should be able to experience healthy sexual function. Every, yeah, healthy, I think that, it's about to say, you know, taking all the necessary uh, exclusions to that, you know, don't go wanking in public. Consent, all of that important stuff. Everybody should be able to have. Oh, I mean, that's that's honestly, that's honestly, I mean, J.K. Rowling, her original tweet for uh, Maya Forstater was, was incredibly insulting. It said, it said, sleep with any consenting adult who will have you. She paints trans people as like being forced to accept the dregs of the dating pool. Sleep with any, you know, get cons- make sure they'll have you. I mean, good, give me a fucking break. That's not how romance works. It's so patronizing and insulting and all of that. Do you know what? If you're a heterosexual woman out there, cisgender or trans, you didn't need a man, just get a wand. And if you're a lesbian or you're bi, you're pan or however you identify, buy a wand. They're wonderful. I don't like to endorse products. Uh, when publicists email me asking for uh, people to come on to pitch their products, I usually say no. But uh, I'd, for everybody, get a wand. If, you have, if you're a cisgender man or a trans man listening, get your, get your partner a wand. Everybody should get a wand. They are wonderful. It is, honestly, it's the greatest gadget ever made. So with that in mind, one wand to rule them all. How wonderful. Anyway. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. And be sure to uh, subscribe and give us great ratings. Awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs)